brothers and of the pioneer perspective we are back this week and we are finally returning after a little bit of a break due to scheduling conflicts and corrupt files saying fuck you and having guests on this show you may not do that ever in your entire life uh but alex is back hello hello i almost feel like a guest with how long it's been and it's like oh wait my face is on the is like on the on the cover so i guess yeah, i'm, I'm gonna, supposed I'm gonna go to be here <laughs> It's just you know the, be me and your little Nikki B. It, it's just the the longer I'm away, like every week, the longer I'm away, the more I like fade out of that image. <laughs> it's like Back to the Future. Yeah. Shit! I have to like ch- I got to go check the fucking uh, the podcast on Spotify and be like, oh my god, it's coming back! It's coming back! Alex is here. <laughs> we fixed the timeline. <laughs> Gosh, it's uh, just, but of course. It, it was so silly that I was gone for, a, I think it's months since I did my last recording, roughly. And then you catch it in between, and Rose is, like, cool enough to step in. And then just the universe is like, no. <laughs> you may not. It's you not may not. allowed. Yeah. Not in my house. Not in God's house. But it's okay. We've been gone for a little bit. So we do have some stuff to talk about. I guess the first things we should do, because we did ask some people within the Discord to be like, hey, what do you guys want to hear us talk about? That kind of thing. We will get to that in a moment. But first, let's round up the things that we have missed, starting with the Pioneer Challenger decks of being Demir Control, Gruul Aggro, Orzov Humans, and Is It Phoenix as the four Challenger decks. And if you were able to, and you do follow the uh, playingpioneer.com uh, like on Twitter and like like follow along the website and keep up with it, you will know that you saw both Alex and mine's initial thoughts on an article uh, the day that that was actually announced. But if you haven't, Alex, what are your initial thoughts? Or I guess now that you've had some time to sit with it since we've gotten the initial announcement, we have not gotten deck list yet, so we still have to wait on that. But what are your thoughts now on the actual like announcement of like the four decks? Yeah, it's it's basically um, two decks that I'm pretty sure are just gonna be fine. Like I I kind of know they're gonna be fine. It's black white humans and gruel aggro. Kind of because okay, the black white humans is have luminarch aspirin on the front, and I fucking hate that card. But like. Other than putting Luminarch Aspirin in your deck, which is the one mistake that they've made, there's not a lot you can do wrong with that deck. So it's it's gonna be fine out of the box, I'm sure. Gruel Aggro just feels like you just put like a random selection of Gruel cards in your deck, and it'll it'll work, right? We've seen that. I'm gonna assume the deck has four Lanowar Elves, four Elvish Mystic, right? And there's probably one or two Amber Cleaves in there, so like. You can't really go wrong if you build a deck like that. Yeah, I don't. I don't even know which Gruul Aggro deck they could be using. Like, well, they they <laughs> had Glorybringer on the front. I'm gonna assume yeah. it is that deck that oh. top eight challenges for two weeks after every set come out and then disappears. The like, one that has uh, like four Questing Beast, four Glory. No, the the two Glorybringer, two Questing Beast, two Reckless Bushwhacker. Which yeah, you look that. at and you're like, this cannot be correct, but it somehow yeah. works. Like this, and and I'm almost at the point where like, after two <clears> weeks, <throat> do the people who keep showing up with the deck do they just get bored of Pioneer again because they bring the same seventy five basically? 
And they're like, yeah, yeah, let's try Pioneer again. New set comes out. Nah, still not for me. I'll be back next set. Even though they keep top eighting challenges with it. But like, so that deck's going to be fine. Black White Humans is going to be fine. Uh, Phoenix, I think, is really dependent on the list. And for a large part, it's going to be dependent on the amount of Phoenixes in it. Because they usually have kind of a budget. But like, you cannot build this deck with two Phoenixes. No, you need like, if four. There's, if there's two Phoenixes in this deck, it sucks. It has to have four Phoenixes. Alex, I'm going to be so fucking pissed if they build, if they give us as a Phoenix and then it's like two Phoenixes and they give us another for the fifth fucking time in a row of these challenger decks, a one of Brazen Borrower for no fucking reason. I'm going to be they, so mad. Yeah, I, I'm a bit worried that they're going to pull like a Spirits where they're going to like not put in four Arclight Phoenixes and then there's like a random other expensive card like a Borrower in the yeah. deck. And you're like, you should have just made this another Phoenix, right? They're like, I'm a bit worried about that. And I'm very low on the Demir control deck. Mostly because... So, there might be good cards in there. Um, you know, there could even be good reprints in there. Maybe Kalidus is in there, right? Like, or something yeah, like that. That would can, be a phenomenal be, reprint. Or, again, there might just be two Thoughtseize in there, which probably makes it a reasonable buy out the box. But when I think of Challenger decks, what I find most important is how good is this deck... If someone shows up to an FNM, right? Let's say they showed up and they thought it was modern. And they're like, oh shit, it's Pioneer, but I want to play Magic. And someone's like, yeah, just pick up one of the Challenger decks off the shelf, right? That situation, basically. Or like someone's like, hey, I'm new to Pioneer. And someone's like, here, have the Challenger deck, go, right? Here's a Challenger deck, here's some sleeves. You got two minutes, FNM starts. I want to know how good they are for that. And then I basically feel like building a reactive deck is impossible. Especially if yeah, it's not blue-white. Like, if they made it blue-white, and that's not saying, like, blue-white is easier or something, but blue-white is very straight up because it's basically just Counterspell, Supreme Verdict, Teferi, and, like, you can't really go wrong. Where I feel like the Demir deck, having played a lot of Grixis myself and watching Demir, that is pretty, like, reactive in the sense of even, like, picking, you know, what's the two-mana removal spell going to be in that deck? Is it Eliminate? Is it Heartless Act? Is it Power Word Kill? Is it Infernal Grasp? Like, those kinds of picks can really impact how good the deck is. And also, the sideboard, I think, matters a lot more. Because in proactive decks, you could, stumble, you could just catch people who stumble. And then, like, you can always win. If the Demir deck is not well configured for the meta, which it's impossible to know... Because, you know, every month control decks look different. So the chance is just really high that that deck is not going to be good out the box. And then I'm I'm like, I, I would never recommend it to someone. Like, yeah, if they come in, even if they like control, I mean, like, if you really love control, I guess you could do it. But if you're like, it's my favorite, but I like playing other things too, I would tell someone to pick any of the other seven. Like, including the previous series. Pick any I of the other seven decks. I would be tempted to just point them to the standard blue eye control with Dream Trawler on the cover over Demir at that point. <laughs> uh, does it have at least, like, Shatter the Sky and stuff in? Like, does it at yeah. least have a four mana Wrath? It does. It has, has Shatter. Yeah, a, um, maybe. And a Finisher. 
what's the fun? I mean, maybe there's Holebreaker Horror. Well, the finisher is Dream Thrower. Oh, and this one's going to be in the Demir one. Yeah. I, well, my money's on either, it has to be Hulk, right? I'm saying Hulk or Hulk. It has to be Hulk, right? This has to be the The Dick Through Time Torrential Gear Hulk shell. Because that's the obvious Demir shell. But what if it's the Demir shell that's the more recent one where it's like Demir TT control? Maybe. But it had Narset on the front. That makes me just... And and the other one is uh, Phoenix, and I'm going to assume this is a thingy-eyes version of Phoenix and not a Ledger Shredder version of Phoenix because of when they get built, right? Ledger Shredder... Like, when these things went to print, Ledger Shredder wasn't a card yet. So I'm going to assume Thing of the Ice is in there. And mm-hmm. this is either going to be Dig Through Time T-Hulk, or it's going to be that Hullbreaker horror deck with, like, opt consider, like, all these cheap spells to make Hullbreaker, like, seven mana win the game. But I could also, I could see the argument that there's no Thing in the Ice at all in the Phoenix version. I mean, it can't just be four Phoenix bunch of spells. Like, mana base is going to be really expensive if they make it somewhat decent. TTs are already. Yeah, ma- like maybe $15. it has like Enigma Drakes instead because it's a cheap card. Not Enigma, yeah. Crackling Drake. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I know what you meant. But like, because Thing of the Ices are like $15 or $10 even. Um, and then Arclay Phoenixes are like $15, $20. If they build that deck right, that's a playset of Thing in the Ice and a playset of fucking Arclay Phoenix that's like a like a fucking you're already knocking on like that's like 150 I mean, bucks in value one right there. thing though because they always obviously we we would like all these decks to have $300 worth of cards in them right but they won't and it's actually for a pretty good reason which is kind of defending them not giving the best decks but it makes sense if you take a $30 product and you put $300 worth of cards in it it's not going to have its intended purpose because yeah. people who are already established, they're going to buy it just because it's a good deal. And the first thing they do is they open the box, they take the steam vents and the other lands out and the rest basically goes in the bin, which is not what you want this product to be. However, you can balance that thinking like given the popularity of, is it in and like steam vents in basically every format you can take that like gamble and be like, there's a good chance that people are going to be less interested in this because they already have it, right? Like Phoenix was so popular at one point that you could be like, they might already just have all these. Yeah, I mean, let's look at the other deck list real quick. So like, this is currently, I don't remember the exact prices of each one, but I think they're about the same, uh, actually, as of what I'm seeing right now. Um, when they came out, but Spirits is seventy three bucks. Paper, Com Lotus Field is sixty one dollars. Mono Reds forty seven dollars, and Auras is fifty seven dollars. So if they, if was they look basically at, the same, yeah. If they look at they like were, eighty dollars uh, as your like max that you can budget these with, um, then you can probably do your four Phoenix. Um, well, no, Ugh. you can't. You can't do four Phoenix. Like yeah, if but they, if they want this to be under hundred dollars in value, but you can then... also anticipate on the fact that the prices of these cards, some of these cards, is probably gonna fucking plummet if you put them in these. 
because a lot of these cards is just scarcity. Temporal Trespass is expensive because it was in one unpopular set. Like, uh, mm. Phoenix is expensive because it was only Guilds of Ravnica. Uh, Thing in the Ice was only Shadows over Innistrad. So a lot of these cards are these typical Pioneer cards that we see a lot of in Pioneer, which were, like, rares that were good in Standard but never saw a reprint for, like, years. And that's why they're expensive. So I think Phoenix, the, the price of the Phoenix deck is going to be, like, other than the mana base. So there's a good chance that there's good spells, but the mana sucks. That's what I'm kind of anticipating. I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic about four Phoenix because right now Phoenix is ten bucks. Yeah, and that's gonna have right if there's a play set of Phoenix in this thing. Well, maybe. Um, I mean, if there's a play set, yes, I, I think you're right. Um, meanwhile, Thing in the Ice is eighteen dollars right now. So yeah, but again, I there's a good see... reason for that. You yeah, know, no, no, I know, I know. I'm saying as far as like this. But at the same time, at the same time, okay, Brazen Borrower, right? A card that has been reprinted in Challenger decks three times, okay, mm-hmm. and is in a is in one of the historically most open sets of all time in Eldraine. As as much as everyone hated that set, it was opened a lot because of how fucking obscenely powerful that set was. Just not a moto. <laughs> no still a $15 card now that is a far cry from it being what wasn't it like $30 yeah, at yeah, a point yeah. it was like $30 so, in standard but it has hovered around 15 it dipped down to 10 bucks at its lowest around Kamigawa and it's back up to 15 now but it's, it's hovered around between 20 and $15 for the majority of the last 365 days. Um, and then prior I, I, I to that, think it was Brazen around, actually the same. has the thing that it's both Pioneer and Modern playable. True. And especially so when, Phoenix. I mean, is Phoenix Modern playable? It's fine. And people will always look at Phoenix as, okay, if, if looting gets unbanned, ever. I mean, Phoenix is immediately like a tier one deck. Exactly. Like, and Phoenix is immediately a sought-after card being a mythic and a but Brad, they are set, never unbending super... looting. They are literally never unbending looting. I, I honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, would looting be that bad in modern now? Abso-fucking-lutely. Like, Faithless really? Modern is probably like... Okay, I haven't played modern in a very long time. So, feel free, anyone who hears this, to correct me. Um, bold call... Faithless Looting is probably in the, like, top five cards on the modern ban list. Now, there is a lot of crap on there. So, like, there's a lot of unplayable cards on the modern ban list. But, like... Faithless Looting might genuinely be up there with Git Probe. In, like, how powerful this card is. It's probably up there with Git Probe. It's... <laughs> it, given that we now have Fury and Solitude, it may be better than Blazing Shoal. Like, I'm thinking of cards that I would rate above it on the modern ban list. Let's refer to this. Yeah, there was this whole thing by Mangucci. I, I didn't understand what the hell he did with the chart. Look at the bottom. So, first two columns are never unbanned. So, it's Third with caution. Consider with caution. Faith is looting with caution. I yeah, mean, and then okay, I'm. 
I'm sorry. I I love Andrea Mangucci. He's he's one of my favorite MTG personalities. He's an amazing guy. He's fun. He's extremely good at the game. With caution, why the fuck is Second Sunrise on there? That should absolutely be on Imprisoned. Like, Second Sunrise decks are, like, the, the fucking most toxic decks ever put in this game. Like, they are so horrible. Oh, so you think it should be a never unbanned? Oh, Second Sunrise should never be unbanned. Okay. Like, so, like, and that's the same row. Like, the With Caution row, again, I love Andrea Mangucci. He He's probably onto more than I am. But this row has Birthing Pult, Mystic Sanctuary, I see Second Sunrise, Once Upon a Time, Green Sun, Zenith, Faithless Looting, like, my guy. <laughs> well, like, look at all of them. No, Okay, I, I see what Fuck doing all now. these cards. <laughs> yes, I, I know, but look at all the cards. Look, what do they all do? They're all value engines. All of them. Every single one. Birthing Pod, Glimpse of Nature, Faithless Birthing Looting, Birthing Pod is not Zenith. a value engine, Brad. Birthing Pod is 100% a value engine. The it's moment the you, value engine. The it is mo- the value engine. The moment you tap Birthing Pod, you win the game. That is not a value engine. It's the epitome of a value engine. No, because but you don't because use it that way. You don't use it as a value engine. Kind of. It's just it's just the value so much the, better that the you The value of winning the game immediately. That That's yes, a combo piece. But, it is a okay, one-card combo. I understand. But it is still a value engine. Just because it's incredibly pushed and obscenely powerful doesn't make it any less of being that criteria of a card. I mean... But regardless, even if you yeah. take Birthing Pot, even if even if I agree and Birthing Pot's not a value engine, every other card in this little uh, thing is. Right? I mean, I don't know. They're more like very cheap degenerate cards. Green Sun Zenith. But, they're, they're, they, but they generate value. Maybe I'm a spoiled control player, but I don't consider a card value if it's a one-for-one. Like, if I play... That's exactly what value generation is! No, because value generation is one card draws two cards. Is cycling... Is cycling value? I mean, it's it's, there's more text on the cards, but I wouldn't say it generates value. value. (laughs) Okay. Is dig through time a value card? Yes, because it draws me two cards. Okay, is Treasure Cruise a value card? Because it draws me three cards. Okay. So is Opt is, a value card? No. Is T-Hulk a value card? Yeah, because I get two cards out of one card. How is that? How are any of those different from looting, Green Sun Zenith, Once Upon a Time, Mystic because, Sanctuary, Pre- Ponder, Because Preordain. Once Upon a Time is one card that gets me one card. It's sculpting. But it does it for free. <laughs> it's do it, but still. Okay, if a one for one... Like cycling is a value card. No, but I didn't 100% say that. Is. It is. How is it not? You cycle, you get a card. Yeah, so you had one card and you've spent mana and now you're with one card. Okay, okay, well, let's let's go to Yu-Gi-Oh then. Okay. Is in, upstart in way, goblin is upstart goblin a fucking value card? No. What? Okay, that's zero mana, so it's basically deck thinning. So I guess but, it is. But hold on, hold on. But it's just a card that gets you a card. Yeah, but for zero. There's a reason it's at one. 
Yeah. <laughs> but that's also why one that's also why once upon a time should be should be banned because it's zero that's mana so one card gets a card. <laughs> I, I'm agreeing with you on why they that, that they yes, it should be banned. Yeah, so why is it on with caution and not on keep that shit out of my fucking Because I'm game. telling you that all of his cards that are on that that little spot that say proceed with caution or consider with caution, they're all value cards that do a one for one or better. I mean, his with caution, I would replace it with like 95% that you have to end up banning this again. Other than Ponder and Preordain, I can kind of see that. Kind of. Ponder and Preordain. Like, yeah, Let's just unban all of it. Well, how, how, let's just unban everything in the Consider with Caution and the Wrongfully Imprisoned. Like, and then, especially like, the never he has Ponder and Preordain in with caution and keeps Splinter Twin in Keep This Band Forever. And then no, I can be like, okay. okay. Nope. Yeah, Splinter Twin yeah. is in Imprisoned. Read it. It says Wrongfully Imprisoned. Meaning it should not have ever been banned. Oh, okay. Sorry. I thought this was for... Oh my god, I completely read this wrong. Okay, cool. Um, he has KCI, Astrolabe, Bridge from Blowfield. Okay, I, I read this as... <laughs> I somehow missed that whole never unban. So I thought it was four rows. Consider wrongfully with caution and imprisoned. And I was already like, this rating is so weird. Yeah, no, no. But it's I never just... unban, consider with caution, and then it's wrongfully imprisoned. This should not have been banned. Or banned for the wrong reason. Uh, Astrolabe is a wild one. Field I mean, I, I kind of agree with the whole never unban thing, though I do think the artifact lands are kind of cool. But I can see their problem. I mean, but wait, want, all the other do you ones. Want Urza are, to be the best deck in the format? So consider with caution. I mean, again, this is modern, right? So we're, we're like heading way off the deep end here. Uh. That's fine. I, We've been gone for a while. We've become modern I, players in our hiatus. <laughs> I, I, I don't know enough about modern anymore, and I, I kind of don't care. Like, I watch it, but, like, a lot of these cards that are on, like, consider with... Co okay, let's put it this way. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm misevaluating all of this, but this whole consider with caution and wrongful imprisoned list are all basically cards that have on it why Alex doesn't like playing modern. <laughs> like, are all these cards. But they're banned. <laughs> Like, yeah, but then a lot of people are like, oh, should we unban them? I want Astrolabe back. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, like, I don't want these fucking stupid, like, cards that are just, like, cardboard. Like, yeah, I do cardboard. I take game actions. Games take seven years, you know. Or, like, again, I play Birthing Pod. I win. It's literally a one-mana I win the game card. Um, wrongfully imprisoned Garclan Ironworks because that was a banger to watch I love watching Garclan Ironworks you know literally yeah, well, just abusing a rule in the game that wasn't able to be fixed because it's just how fundamentally the game works and that's the only reason Garclan Ironworks worked sounds fun to me Alex meanwhile I I'm over here like if there's if there's one card I can choose from this entire list of what I would like to see unbanned in modern, it's Mox Opal. <laughs> Did you just I say want. you want Ursa to be the best deck when I talked about the artifact lands, and then you are like, yeah, Mox Opal's fine. Yes, <laughs> because I want to play Kethis. Also, 
Also, hold on. Hear me out. Mox Opal can be interacted with far more consistently. Because, okay, here's a... There, was a was prismatic ending in the format when Mox Opal was legal? Wasn't it banned before then? I mean, yeah, it was banned before, but I think most games where your opponent plays a Mox Opal and you prismatic and the Mox Opal are games that you have already lost. With how fast modern is. Yeah, but now I can do things with, like, Fury and... Like, stuff. I played a zero-mana card and got a mana off of it, and you now spent one mana to get rid of said card. And then you're like, yeah, I've already won. Like, good job. Is Prismatic End even being played in Modern right now? Yeah. Again, I don't look at this As well as March. Both Ending and uh, in, in March are being played. Because I just see four-color control, and I'm like, nope. Oh yeah, that's the funniest thing about this. Wrongfully imprisoned, and they have Feel the Dead and Astrolabe, and it's like, yes, I would like Four Color to be even better, please. Yes, I would like more. Um, what's the the one green card that you can throw on a... It's an enchantment you throw on a land. Is it Abundant Growth? Which is literally just there to cantrip, and then cantrip again on your... It's basically draw one, and then you get another draw one with like suspend seven on it. And it's like, yes, I would like that? more of those cards. <laughs> Dex. Modern. Also, uh, I would like to play Astrolabe so I can completely play around Blood Moon in my four-color deck. So, four-color pile. Yeah, they do play four button growth. Yeah. Um, Red and six. Teferi. Ice Fang Collateral. Four prismatic ending. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't fucking know, dude. Modern is fun as fuck to watch right now. I just, I don't think I would enjoy playing it. I've gone a bit off it. I watch it for because at one point I just start losing interest in a format I don't play. But like, mm -hmm. like the, um, you know, the whole, I don't know, the whole debacle with like RPTQs in Europe is fucking stupid. Oh, I've seen, yeah. Like, the Netherlands got one. Now, I'm lucky that it is a nearby store. It is a 30-minute drive from my house, that store, which I'm pretty lucky with. But, is it near Amsterdam? No, it's near. It's below Rotterdam, actually, so it's, mm. it's not even in the most convenient place. And it's also, with all due respect for the store owner, because he's a nice guy and stuff, but I would not say that if there is one RPTQ in the Netherlands... It should be there. Like, we have, like, larger stores and stuff that... I can't imagine this place... I mean, I know that they've recently redid the building, and I haven't been since. Um, I can't imagine they are able to host a 100-people tournament without that thing turning into a fucking sauna. So, I, I don't know. Magic, baby. But, like... Sure, like I'm glad they've got one, but it's the only event, and because it doesn't have to be tied to the format anymore, so it doesn't have to be Pioneer, it's modern. The only modern deck I have is Elves. I'm not gonna play again play Elves in Modern because the moment someone casts a Fury, I'm dropping from the tournament. Like it's like I cannot be bothered to play versus that shit. Like 
I, I know elves isn't even a good modern deck, so it's like you're already shooting yourself in the foot, but it's the fact that there's a zero mana Wrath of God in this format, I don't care. I'm not going to play against this. Well, going back to, because uh, we got sidetracked, going back to the uh, the four decks. So basically, so far, our consensus is Demir's probably bad, or just the weakest of the few, because it's control, and it's not blue-eyed control with like the uber-powerful cards like the Wandering Emperor and Teferi. I think mainly without the obviously powerful cards that are just like always good to put in your deck. Yes. Um, Phoenix is going to have some troubles in terms of like generating the proper value by also giving you the com the mo almost complete list. I think they can. Now that I've seen that Phoenix is ten dollars, I thought it was twenty. I can see four Phoenix pretty easily, but at that point, I I, can, I cannot see a single copy of Thing in the Ice in the deck without sacrificing the mana base entirely because Alex. That mana base is so goddamn expensive. It's unreal. Yeah, I, I th I'm... Again, it's speculation. I think the spells are going to be good, but the mana is going to be bad. Like, that's my bet. Which I will say is the best way to keep that problem from happening, where people walk up and just buy the deck and, you know, like, take all the lands out. You kind of yeah, want so the mana base to be bad to prevent it from happening, but it does suck when the mana base in a product is bad. Well, I mean, if I look at Phoenix, the... So, let's see. Um, four Pathways is $35. Four Spire Buff Canals is $87. Four Steam Vents is $73. And then two storm carved coast which i have seen some of us run the full four um it's 25 bucks 26 bucks that's insane yeah and the so, only one i'm pretty sure they come out in october right yes so if um, they if the timing is somewhat near dominaria united which i'm not sure how exactly the timing is going to work out um when Dominaria United comes out, the pathways rotate, I think. But the Stormcarved Coast still stays. So. Yeah, though. They could do for Shiv and Reef. Yeah, Shiv and Reef's really cheap. Um, it's like a dollar. So if you do, like. I mean, I don't know how they do that. I don't think. Can, can they even do the Fastlands? They gave us four concealed courtyards, but those are also the, one of the cheaper fast lands there are. And we'll probably get four concealed courtyards again in the uh, the humans list. Yeah. Um, if they could somehow muster out four spire buff canal, four shivan reef, and then land, and then basics from there, that'd be kind of cool. Then we may be onto something. Or it, or maybe instead of. I know you could probably get away with a couple Sulfur Falls. Yeah, they could probably do Sulfur Falls. If the if the deck has so many basics because budget restraints, then they can mm -hmm. probably put a few Silver Falls in, which actually patches it up a little bit. Yeah. Oh. Or they I mean, maybe instead of the fast lands, they do the slow lands. Those are those aren't cheap, but they're not extremely expensive. They're like twelve to fifteen dollars. Um Fuck. so like you do a couple I, of those. I think if I had one magic wish that I could do that is like 
I mean, is it reasonable? But can we please start from now on? The rare land cycle in a set is printed at uncommon. Yeah. Like, I hate the fact that I'm like, hey, I want to play this deck. Ah, fuck, man, mana base is 200 bucks. And it's like, that's not even the right. fun part of playing the game. <laughs> no. But that's never going to happen. That's about as likely as um, Blazing Shoal being on Band of Modern. <laughs> I do uh, so love then... me some Dragonstorm, though. Um, so then we have Humans, which you think is going to be fine, right? Yeah. And then, uh, what was the fourth one? Gruel. Oh, yeah. Which is just going to do Gruel things. Ambercleave cool. people. Ambercleave is a good card. New slash. I mean, there's a reason that one of the best mono-red decks right now is the one that's playing Ambercleave. Yeah, they're back to that Annex Ambercleave thing. That's kind of cool. Yeah, which is super fun. Um, like, I, I, I respect the uh the original mono red list of like uh just doing you know low to the ground stuff and like kumano which the new one still plays kumano but like i, I there's something about this version with burning tree emissary and stuff like that it's, and also fanatical firebrand is a card again to be to be playing it's awesome that's always a reason to play a deck i mean that that's that's also a direct response to mono green being one of the top decks in the format yeah which i think is a really good way to go about it. Yeah, turn one. Hey, you want a creature-heavy version, Bye. but you don't want to. You don't want too many burn spells, but you don't want to lose to Lanor Elves on turn one. So run the one drop. That's a burn spell. Yeah, smart. It's pretty great. Good deck building. So beyond the challenger decks, Alex, did we miss anything else as far as news goes? Or is it just typical Pioneer Evan I don't, Flow I don't meta? think there's particular news. Um, trying to think. We definitely... We kind of missed out on the whole, like, oh my god, Mono Green is the new best deck thing, and then Mono Green <laughs> kind of leaving. So, like, I think we had that. There was one time where we could record, but I was fucking shattered. And I was like... Am I going to drag myself through, like, three hours of recording after midnight just to tell people that you should kill a lot of our elves on turn one? And we were like, nah, I'm going to bed. <laughs> yeah, more than fair. <laughs> so I'm glad we okay. missed that, especially because it's not even... It's still good, and I love the chain veil. When I saw the chain veil in that deck, I was like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah, it's the like, only card I'm missing from the list. What an um, awesome include. One thing I do want to talk about, now that I think about it, so real quick, re quick recap of the meta yeah. if, you've, if you've been away. Of course. Okay. Um, Monogreen's still the top deck in the format, but not by a whole lot, because the presence of more aggro decks, such as Mono Red Aggro, and especially Boros Heroic, is starting to push down the overall thing of uh, Monogreen, as well as Mono Blue Spirits is another big, really unfavorable matchup for Monogreen. Um, so that's bringing it down, and you're getting a bit more Phoenix again. Um, you still have a nice amount of control. Rakdos Midrange is still a big player. Um, Rakdos Sacrifice is being played a lot more thanks to Impart of like you know Doomwake doing really well with the, and, uh, some back-to-back -back challenges and a bunch of leagues with it. Um, so people have kind of picked up on that, which I think is a deck that I'm going to be playing a lot more moving forward. Over Rakdos Midrange, and here's where I want to talk about uh, some things. We've touched on this before in the past, right? 
about Pioneer because of the nature of the format being pretty much all online at the moment. Um, with you know, we're are we are getting paper events again and stuff like that, of course, uh, but it's trickling in where a lot of the innovation is still not as much as we want to see. Again, like you were talking about the Chainville, awesome innovation, awesome uh, tech, really cool to make that combo go from 14 devotion needed to what eight. That's that's a great, great choice. But you still see decks like Rakdos Midrange, which I've been watching a lot more streamers lately. And a lot of the ones that have been streaming Pioneer, uh, Doomlake included, um, they've been kind of saying the same thing. And it's it's been kind of funny for me to watch and listen to. Uh, they all kind of sit there and go, how the fuck is Midrange a good deck? Because they look at the cards, they look at what the deck does when they play against it, and they say, it just does some things. And it's like the cards themselves are, you know, good, uh, but it, it doesn't have any real synergies to it. Um, it's it, ha- it has that mid-range play style, but it's not anything particularly great. And a lot of them think it's a trap of a deck that's played way too way more than it should be. When you play against this deck as a control player, Alex, how is your matchup? It it can really differ on a bunch of key cards. I do think overall, uh, surprisingly, going into New Capenna, I really struggled with the matchup. Like, a lot. I felt like the matchup was basically unwinnable. You can go to my Twitter and basically be being like, does anyone have, like, tech? Right? I saw, like, that... uh, I wrote about it in um, my Streets of New Capenna, the Grixis Grabs article, where I had over uh, Gaunty and that, like... Dusk Spider or something that 5 mana 4 4 that basically uh, surgically extracts a card in a graveyard but you get to play Mm -hmm. all of them like those kind of cards I feel like the matchup has gotten better and that might be because I just play it better Um, but I think the matchup is decent but it does depend on uh, there's definitely a how the draw lines up especially based around Graveyard Trespasser uh, if Graveyard Trespasser goes unchecked for a couple of turns, I could definitely be in, pro- uh, be in trouble. And mm. sometimes you just get, like, mind-blanked 17 times, which causes you to miss your land drops early, and you just you just lose. You just die to, like, a Blood Tithe Harvester. But overall, I think the matchup is 50-50. It's fine. Do you think it's a trap? Do you think the deck is a trap, like people have been saying? No, not at all. I think people have... Um, I don't want to go out and claim that people have no idea what they're talking about, but they kind of have no idea what they're talking about. Because um, I think, pe- first of all, I've seen so much discourse being people like, all decks in Pioneer suck. And I'm like, yeah, I've seen that too. that's basically impossible. First of all, Mono Green exists, which is like, that's just like a well-built machine of a deck, and there's multiple of those. that just They do actually tick and work, so they're not cards, decks that are like, fundamentally broken like well we can't play dredge because we don't have dredge cards so it's like yeah dredge doesn't work but overall i think there's a lot of fine decks in pioneer also um strength of a deck is context so if all decks suck then there has to be good decks among the bad decks um i think what people underestimate a little bit about why i think rakdos midrange is pretty decent um 
first of all, you have to take the whole picture. We start with mono green, and mono green is obviously everywhere now. Uh, at least it was everywhere, and now it's kind of toned down. And I think part of the reason is for that is that we've seen a bunch of creature decks, and some of them being somewhat uninteractive, like racy. In, for example, if we look at uh, Boros Feather, they have started running that Virtuoso, the 2-mana 1-1 double strike uh, Knaive card. Uh, Illuminator Virtuoso, I think is the name. Mm -hmm. That's the typical, like, shits on mono green card. I play this on turn two. They play, like, a bunch of stuff, and I just go, like, okay, cast a spell on it, cast a spell on it, cast an Ancestral Anger on it, kill you. Basically. Or God's Willing. Yeah, but it turns out that playing a two-drop on turn two and then passing is a really bad idea versus Rectal's mid-range. Yeah. So we see a lot of decks heading towards that creature side, and Rectal's mid-range fucking dumpsters creature decks like that. That's literally what it's built to do, right? Obviously, the main deck, Kalidas deck, is going to be good versus the mono-red play some creatures and slap an Amber Cleave on one of them deck. Mm-hmm. especially because like when rectos is in play annex doesn't work like his whole like he always floods the boat thing doesn't work because your creatures don't die they get exiled and you gain a million life and you have a bunch of removal spells it's great against those decks in general um and what i think people are forgetting because now that there's not that much combo uh we have some like synergy based decks we have mono green we have a lot of creature based decks so that game plan of, like, I'm just going to make sure we are both out of resources by turn four. And if we would, like, if we would go to a Rectal's deck, or, like, any deck in the format, and we give every card a grade from one to ten. A lot of cards like Mono Green, they're going to have, like, a bunch of twos in them. And then a bunch of tens to make the deck work. So if you take, like, the average score in a deck... Rectos just has a bunch of good cards in it. Mm-hmm. So if we go to that game plan of by turn four we are both top decking, I might not have a top deck like Niv Mizzet or Teferi Hero of Dominaria or Karn. But unless it's a land, even though the deck has like a ton of man lands, so that might not even matter, and you've got a bunch of blood tokens around sometimes, I almost never have a truly bad draw. So I think that's the strength of the deck. It either just shits on a creature deck, which it's built to do, or it does that we're both in top deck mode on turn four type of thing, and it just draws decent cards. So I think it's a fine game plan. The only reason it feels bad is because when you play against Niv and you get both down to like five lands and play nothing else by turn five, turn four, and they do top deck the Niv, it feels like your deck is point is useless. Mm-hmm. But in the other seven games you're going to play against Niv, and they draw two lands, land in a Karyatid, uh, a Nahiri while you have five creatures on the board, that type of thing, those deck, those games are going to feel easy. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, your, your Monogreen matchup is, a, is atrocious. Oh, yeah. It, it's absolute. The Monogreen matchup is horrible. But it's built to beat everything that's praying it's just a rock paper scissor thing yeah and that's where mid-range always finds itself so it's just like the nature of the deck but i think people look at these type of mid-range decks and a lot of them come from modern these decks just kind of don't exist anymore in modern 
because even those decks have like Ragavan in them. And now it's not true that thing that like, oh, Ragavan is death touch to has death touch to players, right? Where at the moment I attack someone, I win the game. No. But Ragavan can give you these games of cards like Ragavan, Dothy Voidwalker. I played Dothy Voidwalker, I thought sees your primeval titan, I tapped Dothy Voidwalker and now cast your primeval titan, right? Those kind of like games end on turn two because I've done something super unfair. Rectal's Midrange and Pioneer just doesn't do that. So mm -hmm. it makes the deck feel bad because all your games are a slog. Literally all of them. But you are good at sloggy games. But that just makes it feel bad because you're like, well, you look at the deck, it's all three drops, and you're like, where is my I win button? It's like, that's the thing. You don't have one. Could be cut to ribbons. I mean, that is I win the game on turn 25, which is still <laughs> fine. I right? don't know. I mean, I fled a lot in Mono and Practice uh, <laughs> Midrange. Yeah but, yeah, but you have Hive of the Eye Tyrant, Den of the Bugbear. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's yeah. not going to come up very often. But, like, I mean, one cut to ribbons is that type of, like, cart you could do. But I, I don't think that makes much of a difference. Because that's not really part of what the deck does. I mean, it, it gives you an amazing top deck really late in the game. But if the game goes that long... Your opponent has drawn their Teferi, their Niv, their blah, blah, blah. And you, you don't want that either. So I mean, Cut the Ribbons is actually not even a good top deck because you need a target to get in the grave. Ah, uh, just kill your own goblin that you've generated off your uh, den at one point. Which, I again, probably means you yeah you should have just attacked with your den <laughs> like, instead of cast this Cut to Ribbons. But what if you have all the mana in the world, Brad? And you attack first, and then post-combat, you kill your own goblin... And our next turn, you threaten to burn them for four, which is also the damage that Den of the Bugbear does when you attack with it. It's nice to look at the page for Pioneer and see it be a bit longer than it usually is. Um, are there any decks that you look at, looking at Pioneer in general, and you're like, feels like it should be doing better, or people should be playing this more, and like fine-tuning it a bit more to like have it have more of a presence like I'm looking at like, all to... these decks under like two percent play yeah i'm trying to like expand the page a little bit i'm already seeing so i'm surprised but this could be I mean, that, that like there's two human variants that i see and it's banned humans and five color humans i don't see four and then i see four color humans and together they make up 2%. And Orzhov humans is another 0.3. Oh, so 2.3%. Basically, all variants of humans together are 2.3%. And I'm like, I think this deck um, is very solid. There's seen a lot of people with the banned humans. You've been playing the black-white humans. I'm still on. Yeah. At this point, it's become four-color humans because I've cut the only black card. Not because I wanted to go down a color, but just because I didn't feel like playing General Kudrow. Um... So I'm down to four colors, but I could easily go up to five, and I think that deck is good. Uh, we've seen Bant Humans. I think there's a Coco version, and there's a Pyre of Heroes version, which I think is really cool. Um, I don't know. People should just, just play Humans. The decks are good. Basically, all of them are good for like slightly different reasons. 
I think black white is probably the most aggro. Um, four color is a little bit in between. It has it has a little bit more value. It also has a nut draw that I feel like black white doesn't have per se, other than like draw every Thalia's lieutenant in your deck. Um, mm. But like this has Coco, or you could do the werewolf pack leader into mantis rider thing which is just still my favorite turn two three sequence in the game it's so awesome especially if you go experiment one werewolf pack leader mantis rider just feels like cheating it's it's so cool it's so smooth when you get to do it um and the band version is very grindy so it just kind of depends on where on the spectrum you want to be with your deck. But I feel like all of them work. Like, even if you should be playing the more value-ish deck, I don't think you're worse, that much worse off playing the Ors of One. And that's kind of why I like to play the four-color one, especially because that's, it is just a deck I just take to, like, FNMs and stuff, where the meta is much more open and can differ wildly... So I'm kind of just picking, like, the in-between deck. Because it's just, like, a solid choice, no matter the meta, in my opinion. You could also play mono-white. That's another 0.2% of the meta. That feels like it's just there for budget reasons, which is fine. Cool, play mono-white humans, good budget deck. I mean, 92 bucks, awesome four deck. Bra- four Brave the Elements. Yeah, this is, like, the Banalish Marshall deck. This is basically... I mean, it super qualifier it ended 12 with a 7-2 and two record. Like, this deck's not bad, but, like, this feels to me like the, the budget deck. feels super sus to me. Just Cave being a six-man investment to turn on. Yeah, um, but it's kind of free in this deck. Oh, easy, easy fix, Alex. Okay, you cut the two Cave. To, uh, I guess you can keep the Chef at Dunes. It's fine. Cut the two Caves and... And run like a couple of Mutavolt instead. No, 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 no. What do you mean no? This mono white deck cannot run Mutavolt. Have you seen the casting cost of these cards? I mean, Banalish Marshall's triple triple white. That's the one that's. Yeah, but you're also gonna be going like one drop, one drop, one drop, and you have so many one and two drops in this deck that you want to keep two landers. You do not want a Mulligan and Mutavolt hand. I've played this with Orzov. Where I didn't play Mutavolts in it either because I hated it. I know you do. But uh-huh. I will say the Orzov deck now is like it's got the Luminarch Aspens of it. It has Thalia now, which it used to not have when I played it. Um, and the deck is a little bit more two drop heavy. It's got some more colorless pips in it. I remember when I played Black White Humans, most of the pips in my deck were colored because I played like 16 one drops and I could not afford Mutavolt. It, it just fucked me over so often. Mm. and also again this strikes me a bit as a budget deck and um mutavolt's not a budget card <laughs> true that might be in the Ors of humans pre-con that would be, be great a, be pretty cool they... sometimes i forget i have two play sets because i was tired of swapping out Mutavolt in my vampires deck to put in my mono white legends deck for the book combo i just bought another play set <laughs> And now I don't play the mono white deck at all. It's on my desk over here. It's not even in my bag anymore. <laughs> oh no. It's been demoted to desk. 
There's no room now, in the back. Now, okay. for me, it, desk is like a badge of honor. Like, my Grixis control deck is always on my desk because I want to be able to reach out and play a webcam game quickly. But See, the reason it's been relegated to the desk is because I have a commander deck in my bag now. Ah, look at that. Which I've yet to play with. <laughs> Your uh, council, of, <laughs> council of Five, that one? Yeah, the four. Council of Four. No. Oh. <laughs> I, I pictured one more person in the... I pictured kind of four people in the art in my head, and I was like, but it's five, right? <laughs> no, it's, it's like one in the background is one staring out through the window. Each like, person is a is an O2. Oh. And then you have an O8. Cool. Right? I guess that's, yeah. that works. They, it, they're just four O2s with banding. So they made it one card. Wish it was Pioneer legal. Be a sweet, like a Zorius mid-range deck. But yeah, overall, to kind of wrap this bit up so we can head to the questions, um, I think the meta looks like if I just look at the Goldfish page and like the FNMs I've been going to with stuff, like it's it looks pretty fucking awesome. At this point. The meta's great right now. Um, I think the main thing is you need a plan for mono green. Uh, well, you you may not need a plan for mono green. However, I think mono green can be a very frustrating deck to lose to. So if you're like, I tilt when I lose to mono green, you should probably come up with a plan. Overall, especially looking at like, again, I assume most people are like the FNM type of characters. You're, I don't know. I I haven't seen my FNMs flood with mono green. Like, not a cheap deck. No. So that's also a thing to keep in mind. Um, I mean, how let's let's think about this as well. It's not a cheap deck, right? And with the nature of, and the reason you see a lot of it on Moto is because of rental renting services. services, right? If you go to an actual paper event. I'm sure there'll be a decent number of mono green, but it, it probably won't be that much. I mean, it's the deck I'm I saying, would like anticipate tournament. if I go to like an RPTQ. Because then I imagine there's a lot of people who go there and they do just like, I expect more people to just play the default best deck in the meta, which mono green probably mm-hmm. is. But if I'd go to like an FNM or something, I wouldn't be worried about facing mono green four times and getting my ass handed to me. And no bans. We don't need bans. Oh, right now. absolutely not. I don't bad. see it. Monogreen's nowhere near that. I don't see bad. any reason for a ban. Also, um, I mean, I don't like Karn, but other than that, a lot of cards in this deck, like I think Nykthos is a really cool card, and I'd be very sad to see Nykthos go, just because I think other than Monogreen, it also just spawns like a couple of like really cool niche decks that kind of don't deserve to be hit because I think they're kind of unique and cool. You know, mono-red devotion with Leyline of Combustion in the main, like, that's just quirky, right? Just, I like seeing stuff like that. I would argue that Karn's really cool, too. I know you don't like the Wish aspect of it, you don't like Wish cards in general, Yeah, but Karn itself is a really cool card in any other deck besides Monogreen. The reason Monogreen is annoying with Karn 
is because you can make use of all this mana and grab a meteor golem and maybe even cast it the same turn you cast the Karn. Yeah, it's it's not in a lot of other decks you can you see it coming. Yeah. So they minus Karn, they grab something, and you're like, okay, I can now prepare for that card. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're pressuring Karn, because sometimes what people can do they they minus Karn, they grab a card that's not that good, so they think like, oh, they don't have a lot of good grabs for Karn. And then you don't kill it, and next turn they minus actually grab the good card, and then they cast it. But if you have any amount of pressure on Karn, they will probably grab their good card first, and then you you can you can anticipate. Yeah. Like and hey, the they they green is the fact that they, they can go turn turn two old growth trolls, a nice four four body, uh, Sylvan character is an O three blocker. Yeah, um, Cavalier is a five six with reach. Yeah, they're incredibly they, good they at protecting their Karn too. Yeah, which is part of the and reason untapping though. Untapping creatures with uh with with uh, fucking Kiora as well. Like as much as they are good at defending, you're still, and that's what we see happening in a meta. You're still what I just said with Rectus too. You still see people defaulting to creature decks a little bit mm-hmm. because creatures are just the best thing to pressure planeswalkers with. Oh yeah, of course. Which is also kind of the reason I think Mono Green's fine to stay because it encourages people to play creature decks. And that's what I love about Pioneer, is that it's more about creatures, the battlefield, right? It makes sweepers feel more impactful. So you get back to that sort of, like, basic essence of magic, which is creatures, removal, sweepers, hand attack, counter magic. And that's basically all the game is. No free shit, no... You know, it's it's cleaner. And I like mm. that. All right, let's get to the questions that we have from some people within Be- the community before we do that recording i'm gonna quickly grab a drink okay and while alex is going to grab a drink i will take this time to sit here and thank you so much for listening to the pioneer perspective we are the official podcast of the playway discord server so if you want to play some paper magic and hop in and play some web game uh, webcam games with alex or myself or anyone else in this wonderful community that we have or just chat hang out of course Go ahead and hit the link down in the description. There's an invite link available in there. Otherwise, we are also two members of PlayingPioneer.com. We write articles stuff like that, so if you want to check that out, you can go on PlayingPioneer.com and check out recent articles by myself and Alex. We have merch on InkGaming.com, so if you want to get any kind of merch, you can go ahead and hit the link down there. There's two of them. The first one allows you to get stuff with our faces on them and cool things for the Pioneer Perspective podcast and even Playaway merch as well if you're into that. But if you don't want that kind of stuff, there's the other link that goes into the entire store of Ink Gaming, and anything you get through that affiliate link will go back to us in some way. And of course, we have a Patreon as well if you want to support that. And thank you so much to the current Patreon members. If you want access to uh, podcast episodes early, uh, and even video versions of them, or ones with rambling prior to us starting for about 30 minutes or so, a little extra content, go ahead and hit the link down below to become a Patreon member. And don't forget to follow myself and Alex on Twitter while you're there. At Simon Bolas, at Bratsiver. Alex is back. He has his drink. Let's go back to the mailbag questions. Hello, mid-roll ads. Cool. Feels professional, right? We we usually do it at the yeah. end. But I've been listening to like more podcasts again, and I, I noticed there's a lot of mid-roll. Like, that's, that's how we should be doing it. I forget to do it that Except way. Except if we ever get sponsored by Raid Shadow Legends, that has to start in the first 30 seconds, is my experience. 
Oh, any any actual sponsorship like that, usually in the first bit. Um, sometimes they'll do the mid-roll stuff. They'll let you, like, uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneer Perspective. And just before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. If you want to get the beautiful <laughs> taste of any kind of sugary cereal, but without the guilt involved, go ahead and hit the link down below. They have all these different flavors, cotton candy, cocoa, normal uh, frosted, and, of course, my favorite, honey nut. And you can go ahead and go ahead and try it down there. What? Alex, don't you love Magic Spoon so fucking much? What the fuck is a Magic Spoon? <laughs> 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 magic spoon is a um it's it's a it's a cereal brand that's only online and it's like protein cereal with like no sugar and stuff oh, like that yeah it's not good i've had it i've um i've had so many of these kind of products because my, my my brother is um a couple years ago he really started to like be very serious about losing weight etc and he he lost a ton of weight it's insane what he's achieved but that mm-hmm involved a lot of that like zero calorie syrup and stuff to use yeah. and i said like, this is i'm sorry but all of this is gross like the only thing you used to it genuinely. yeah but that's like i just gonna eat so much crap until i get used to the fact that it tastes like crap and i'm like yeah but what if you ever eat a good thing is that like okay, immediately problem, ruined though. again do you just have to no. always eat shitty food so that you forget what nice food is like. You actually, on occasion, go back to a food that you liked, uh, especially one that has like sugar in it and stuff like that, and it's like overwhelming. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, like it's I happened to me a few times. I tried for a while, like for weight loss. I've, I mean, I I was starting to lose weight, and then the pandemic happened, and at least I managed to go back to my starting before I lost weight. Weight instead of going even worse. Mm-hmm. Um. But part of that was trying to track what I eat. And that's a part I could just not do because it made me not want to eat. Because I felt so much guilt every time I put some, even when it was my breakfast. And I'm like, this is just like normal stuff I'm eating. And like that bar builds up and I'm like, oh my God, I'm hitting my daily limit or I'm going towards my daily limit. You know, I'd rather See, not, I'd better not eat. I just could not do when, it. I tried it for a month and it just made me sad. Like When I... When I was uh, counting calories because I was bulking, and I was uh, weightlifting uh, heavily, like six days a week, um, I would often have times where I'd be like not eating enough. I'd be at like 2,000 calories, and I'm like, fuck, I need another 1,000 calories in three hours. It's fu- it was insane. Yeah, um, and, so the, and, and then the you eat for opposite. eating, like, which is also like, oh, I mean, eat for eating. That sounds obvious, but like, they're just like shoving something into your mouth when you don't feel like eating. Yeah, because that's what I sometimes ended up. Because I would, up, I would, I would I protein I would stop so much in the day, and then I was like, "Oh wait, I stopped myself like five times today from eating, and now it's like evening, and I have not eaten enough." And then I had to eat when I actually didn't feel like eating, and I was like, "Fuck, this doesn't work." <laughs> yeah, it's just everything in moderation. Just don't eat like you know what's sugary. Just when you buy groceries, when you get food, look at the fucking nutrition and be like, how much sugar is yeah, this? Yeah, I, I think like, that... Just cut out soda. It's easy. That part's easy. Yeah, I, I think the whole... Um, when I counted calories for a while, even though it sucked, well, I didn't just count calories. I count... Is it like your... Your macros. Macros, yeah. I, I did that. And one thing when you do it for a bit, even if you hate it, at least it gives you a little bit of awareness... Yeah. So I did kind of, I think I probably like did use that experience a little bit that even though I don't do it as well and I definitely need to get in the habit again, 
if I now go to like the supermarket, I do like flip something around and be like, okay, I'm feeling like this, but this is like basically poison. And then there's mm-hmm. like, oh, but I also like this. And I look at it I'm like, oh, this is, this is, you know, at least like better. Right. And I'm like, okay, at least yeah. this is like, this is like half as bad. And it's like, which do I feel like more? I kind of feel like either. And then I know, I now know which one to take rather than just looking at the front of a package and be like, that's bright and shiny and looks tasty. And then just grab that. Like grabbing the Oreos. Oh, God. I haven't had an Oreo in so fucking long, Alex. I kind of want one. <laughs> it's been like a year. So, maybe even two. Before we tempt you into not finishing the recordings, you can go buy Oreos. Um, we have three questions, and two of them are actually magic questions. And then the third one is. What the fuck? Um, <laughs> the first question is from Stoven. Um, I would love some discussion on graveyard hate in the age of hearse. I, lo- I love that the age of hearse. That sounds good. Um, is it just the best thing you can be doing to target a graveyard? When should you be running leyline and cage? Uh, why don't you start, Brad? Because I or do you want me to go first? Because I do have a few thoughts already. Ah, uh, you can go ahead. So I th- I think an important distinction in graveyard hate is um. It's sort of there's a quantity and a quality to it. So what I think is good about hearse is is that there's quite a few decks that use the graveyard that just like build up their graveyard over a game. So that's what makes hearse very powerful because you just eat two cards every turn, two cards every turn, two cards every turn, and that keeps the graveyard small. But it doesn't really matter what's in. And that's what makes Hearst very powerful. Obviously, the fact that Hearst then turns around and hits people for 10 at a time is what makes it so crazy. Uh, if it yeah. wouldn't be a vehicle and it would just be an artifact that says tap XL2, it wouldn't be that good. Um, so it's definitely the fact that it does double duty um, helps a lot. The fact that it's not a terrible draw in multiples because graveyards are generally filled a little faster than two cards per turn. So even if you draw a second, it's probably still eating something. Or at least if you draw the second, you get to like start crewing the first one, but leaving the second to eat particular cards. So there's a lot of good play to drawing multiples where cards like Leyline of the Void, um, Rest in Peace, they are pointless when you draw your second. So it's a card that you can play in larger quantities a little bit easier. Um so that the main thing, though, to hers is quant is is it's about quantity, not quality. Whereas if the graveyard hate was more about quality, by which I mean specific cards. So let's say, um, I mean, Phoenix isn't even though hers does it a little bit because it does target cards in the graveyard. If I'm thinking of like quality, then it's really like okay, there's there's a card and it hits the bin. And I want to, like, immediately do something with it. So let's say there's, uh, like, if a very common line would be something like, um, what is the flashback card that copies the spell? Um, Galvanic Iteration. If, like, a very common line in your metagame is Galvanic Iteration, Galvanic Iteration spell, then there's no timing where the hearse can hit it. So actually, that might not be, like, quality, then you kind of want the blanket so it never hits the bin. 
Okay, it, is, it is a little bit complicated, but you've got the quantity where you just want to chomp, chomp, chomp away at the graveyard, which is also what makes Graveyard Trespasser a good card. Because currently we are in a meta where lots of decks work like that. Where you just want to be chomping at the graveyard slowly while doing other things. Uh, quantity is more... Like Kroxa is a better example of that. Where Kroxa tends to sit in the yard for a couple of turns, and then it's good. So, like, it's played on turn two, but it probably won't be until, like, turn four or five that it's actually escaped. So you have a few turns to, like, snipe it away. And if there's only cards where you care about occasionally sniping one away, you can look more at a card like Scavenging Ooze. Because Scavenging Ooze, Lion's Sash... They can, like, I can spend mana and eat a card, and because I only care about eating four or five cards in a game that really matter, that's when I'm going to play a card like Scavenging Ooze. If I need the yard to be empty as much as possible, I would play a card like hers. Now, if I want cards to never hit the graveyard then I could play a card like Leyline, because it just, they, they never hit the yard at all. They go straight to exile, which, for example, can be valuable when there's also, like, dice triggers, like a Stitcher Supplier, for example, where, like, if it dies, a thing happens. Well, with the Rest in Peace, it never dies. It goes straight to exile. Mm-hmm. So that's basically, the, like, the sort of three ways to have graveyard hate. Quantity is just chomp, chomp, chomp at the graveyard. Quality, I only care about exiling four or five key cards in a turn, in a game, and Blanket is, I want dice triggers not to happen, or I want my opponent to never have a single card in their graveyard, because they're playing, like, Dredgeless Dredge. And sometimes they play a Gristy Salvage, and they hit, like, five cards. And I can't eat five cards at once with my hearse, so then I want a Blanket, the graveyard is not a part of the game anymore, type of card. So... Where your explanation goes from comparing the two type of cards and like what they do and how you attack the person's graveyard, um, my explanation is going to be a bit different and more focused on what your deck is doing already. So you'll get decks that currently run Hearse, things like Rakdos Midrange, uh, Monobu Spirits, for example. Those are a couple decks that really like playing Hearse out of the board. Um, well, why do they? Why do they play these cards over something like a Leyline or like a Cage or something like that? Well, they're already creature-based strategies, and they can afford to actually play this card on turn two. Look at Rakdos Midrange. It is three drops central. Four Bonecrusher Giants, four uh, Grave of Trespassers, four Fable. And then you have how many two drops? Four, typically. Sometimes they run more because you have Croxa and like Tenacious Underdog in certain lists as well. So between four and six, right? So when you're playing a card like an Isis Hearse out of the board for Rakdos Midrange, you don't always have a turn to play in, in Rakdos. So you can actually afford to slot that card in because it actually complements your curve pretty nicely, as well as being a pretty heavy creature strategy and being a crew two with the 2-2 Goblin you make off of um, the, uh, the Fable. You have Bunker's Giant. You have uh, Grave Trespasser. You have, you know, and then you have like Blood Tough Harvester. These are all cards that are more than capable of crewing it later in the game when it gets bigger. So it's a card that fits nicely into your existing game plan where you are okay with spending the turn two playing it rather than needing something to happen immediately. Same thing with Mono Spirits. 
Monobus Spirits, if you're going against something like Phoenix, well, you would say that they have way more two drops in this list than they do like Ragnus Midrange. So why would you want to just clog up your two drops? Well, some of them aren't that great uh, in certain matchups. Let's look at, uh, for example, if you're going against Phoenix on Modern Blue Spirits, Shacklegeist isn't that great against Phoenix because it dies to a lot of stuff. It's just a 2-2 without it being a ward or whatever. The Supreme Phantom is still relevant enough that you want to play because you want to still pressure your opponent with uh, and race them to some extent. And Rattle Chains is a great protection spell. Normally in creature matchups, Shacklegeist is a way that you kind of keep the pressure off of yourself and you're able to leave some stuff back, tap them down, and then clear in for attacks, and you're able to race efficiently in that way. Where Phoenix, they don't play enough creatures to make it relevant to have the tapping, but you can slot in the three unlicensed hearse in the slot of Shacklegeist, which now replaces that exact same style that you want it to be in the fact that it helps you race. Now you can snipe stuff out of the graveyard, keep them off of um, off of delve spells like Treasure Cruise, keep them off of uh, you know Temporal Trespass, and keep them off of Phoenix. And you can still accelerate your own game plan the entire time. It slots nicely. There's no reason to... And, and this is another thing. You don't want to play a cage on turn one. You don't want to play um, a uh, any of like the, the Soul Guide Lanterns or whatever to like snipe stuff that way because it goes against your other drops. You don't want to conflict with your one drops because they're still relevant and pretty decent in the game against like a deck like Phoenix. So in Spirit's a nice body to, uh, that can be a nice late game draw. It can grow if they don't have any interaction or eats a kill spell. Um, and of course, you want your one drops in general to get your cures possession. So that's where Hearse is really great. On the other hand, decks in which Hearse is a bit conflicting with your existing game plan and how you want to attack a deck or it's not something you want to be doing in terms of turn two and pressuring the board. For example, like Orzhov Humans. I don't think Hearse is very good in Orzhov Humans at all, and I would rather have something like Leyline of the Void because I want to make perfect use of my mana every turn on Humans because I need to pressure my opponent aggressively with that type of deck. Not that you don't do that with Mondo Spirits, but you're more reactive to a sense where humans is a lot more proactive. And having the free ley line come in on turn zero and allow you to just kind of just ignore that aspect of their game for now and just pressure them and see how many turns ley line can buy you. And of course, ley line and all these other cards can be bound. And the one thing about ley line that's unfortunate is like it can be bounced by Otawara, right? But the turns that it that that to that yeah that, that's fine that though. Leyline buys you, yeah the turn that it buys you turns one through four against Phoenix are probably enough to just kind of plow through them. Yeah, I think so. That's the big difference. I think to chip in a little bit, what um I think for example, um I think in Ors of Humans at this point, even though there's an argument to be made for Leyline of the Void for sure, um. Even if you look at you're in white, so you've got rest in peace. Yep. I think I would be no on hers before specialist. I'm. Well, I think I'd be on hers before I'm on rest in peace at this point too, mm -hmm. because tapping out for rest in peace on turn two is like such a huge tempo loss. Whereas tapping out for hers on two two, even though it doesn't immediately do as much, you get that tempo back at one point. Like it's sort of in. Um, in when you play hers, you kind of delay the tempo that a two drop would give you, because you play a two drop, but it's not going to be till like turn five or six that you're going to get that tempo back. 
if you play rest in peace, you lose tempo on turn two that you're never getting back. And then I'm looking from like your side of the field. Like sure, you're mm -hmm. hampering your opponent, but I've had plenty of games when I play uh, Grixis and people are like, oh, I'm going to bring in rest in peace, right? To deal with Tormential Gear Hulk and Dig Through Time um, and those type of cards. But the thing is, the game is much more about the first few turns than it is about the later turns. And playing a rest in peace on turn two, sure, it makes my turn six worse. But because you didn't play a card, my turn two is way better. Mm -hmm. And the fact that you've given me so much like room to work with early game means even though my turn six is significantly worse than I would want it to be, uh, and I might have to play Gearhawk as just a six mana five six flash. I am doing it with like eight more life because you lost all that tempo, and yeah. that that's a that's a thing that uh, I think is very overlooked and why people often sideboarding graveyard hate too often, where they're like, "Oh, my opponent does something with the graveyard. Better bring in my rest in peace." Uh, this especially happens. Um, I think some people, and I do this too, and most people do this. They get lazy with sideboarding. So they build a deck, and they're just like, all right, I'm in white, I'm going to put Rest in Peace in the sideboard, I'm going to put Deafening Silence in the sideboard, uh, I'm going to put a Disenchant Effect in the sideboard. They're basically just like building a generalist sideboard that works. Right? I'm playing a blue deck, I'm going to put two Negate in the sideboard. And this is when I used to play at my other LGS, where we have more new players come in. This is generally how I taught players to build their sideboard at first. Because it's like, don't, don't try and understand the meta but put these general cards in your sideboard. You're playing green, put a few naturalizes in your sideboard. You're playing white, put a few disenchants in your sideboard. You're playing blue, put a few negates in your sideboard, that type of thing. So people are like, graveyard hate, I guess I'll grab this. And then my opponent does something with the graveyard. So the graveyard is used, I guess I put my graveyard hate in. But I think this is where you, like Stoven, who asked the question, immediately make the better step and going into... Yeah, but why should this graveyard hate piece come in? And correctly assessing that rest in peace is a very different card than hers is. And I like what you said, Brad, with the Leyline of the Void, because Leyline of the Void kind of um, does what I just talked about, where it makes your turn five or six worse because you're going to run out of gas faster. Because you've played a leyline of the void on turn one, on turn zero, but you didn't take turn two off. Mm -hmm. So again, when we get to turn five or six, you're going to run out of gas, and the game's going to get harder for you. But the pressure was actually a little higher early game because you had that zero mana card. So I and I had to deal with your board, and I had to realize like, oh, and I'm not going to be able to cast my dick through time on turn five. And I think that's what makes Leyline pretty good. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Leyline. I run it too in Zombies because Zombies has that same issue, especially because Zombies is just not that fast. So yeah. you really don't want to take the tempo loss. And it's in black. Like, that one is mono black, so you don't even have the rest in peace. Also, you want to use your own graveyard, so you absolutely do not want to play rest in peace. Um, and also, to go back on Hearse again a little bit, that's also why hers is better than a card like Relic of Progenitus. Because you play it early, 
and you want to play it early. But for Relic, you kind of... Relic of Progenitus isn't legal, but for example, you kind of don't want to play it early. Because as you said, Brad, I want to play a one-drop on turn one, not my yep. graveyard hate piece. My These historical, like, there's there have been lots of cards that are like, tap, eat a card from the graveyard. And they are terribly, there are generally cards that you want to play early because the longer they're on the battlefield, the more of the graveyard they get to eat. But you also don't want to play early because there's shit in tempo. And hers doesn't have that problem. And that's what makes the card very good. And to lean on Cage, what you said to, I don't think Cage is a great graveyard hate piece if all that's going on is graveyard shenanigans. I want to play Cage if there is graveyard and deck shenanigans. If there's only graveyard shenanigans, I'll be on Lantern, Soul Guide Lantern, Lantern of the Lost, maybe Tormod's Crypt if I do want to have that bit of tempo. If it's like a really fast meta, or I'm playing something like Ensoul, where it can always be a zero mana thing to throw an Ensoul effect on. Then I want to be on Tormod's Crypt and not on Cage. Yeah. And there are some exceptions to this idea of, like, does it fit your game plan, that kind of thing. Um, for example, like, Mono Red. Mono Red's going to play Hearse over everything else because it's a creature they can crew pretty easily, and they don't really want to be playing Leyline. Um, but it's because Red doesn't even really want to be playing, playing Graveyard Hate. Because they want to just have pressure, yeah. pressure, pressure, but okay, I have to play some Graveyard Hate. I will play the most aggro Graveyard Hate. Which is what Horus is. Exactly. Uh, one final note to touch on on Leyline. Leyline, I think, only works in at least somewhat proactive decks. Um, because again, yeah, I agree. You want to do agree. that 100%. proactive thing where I don't care if my turn five is shit because I don't want the game to get to turn five. Yep. If you want the game to get to turn 5, which is why I also find a little sketch in Zombies, I run it, but I'm not super happy to run it. Um, because that um, that deck does generally go to later turns. But like in a control deck, Leyline is just shit. Because mm. you don't want to mulligan aggressively, because that's a bad idea for control, because you're going to run out of gas, and you're not going to be able to stop your opponent. Um... So you don't want to mulligan aggressively for it. You're going to draw more cards, which means you're going to see the second Leyline more often, which you don't want to draw, but Leyline is probably played with a minimum of three copies. So there's like a conflict there. Um, with like a conflict of interest in how you want to build your deck. And... Um, yeah, that, 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 that's basically the main point, where it's like you don't care about the tempo as much, you want to care for the value, and that's also why a control deck can be happy to run a graveyard piece, hate piece that cantrips, for example. Even though it's a little bit worse, if it cantrips, it, it still gives you that value, or if you're playing proactively, you might not care about the value, because your goal is to never get to the point where that value matters. Yep. All right. Next question is from Supertux29. Aggro's best outs when basically saying, what are aggro's best outs when up against the heavy control meta? That's what I'm finding personally is if I can't deal lethal by turn four or five, four or five, I never can. 
So basically, how do they get underneath? I mean, it's a tough question to answer just off rip because we don't know what aggro deck they're playing. Um, but we can assume like mono red and things like that. Um, Alex, you are the control player. How does aggro beat you? Um, I, I'm I'm gonna try and think of like a few different decks that this can be because it depends on the deck. I think the mm -hmm. classic example is um, burn. Where burn players, when you're a new play burner, uh, burn player, you see an opening hand and it's like three lands, one creature, three burn spells. That, my friend, is a mulligan. Like, it might look like a good mix of hand and spells. That is a mulligan. Because the early game, when you're playing aggressive, has to consist of creatures. Um, so if you want to play them, that's why the mono red deck that went to like. Um, that recent deck we saw with Chandra and Eggs. Kumano. Well, even the the one before when we got Chandra dressed okay. to kill with uh, and Kumano yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, faces Sokan's on or something. Uh, something like that that yeah. one, that one, and all the one drops because that deck very often went one drop, one drop, one drop, and that's the kind of draw that you want against control. Um, I also think that. And then I'm trying to think from... Uh, so that's like a red-based deck. That's the classic one I'm thinking of, where you keep mm -hmm. too many burn spells. Um, you keep a seven that is going to go like one drop, turn two, Bone Crusher Giant, stomp you, turn three, play Bone Crusher Giant. Just not that fast, and probably not fast enough. Now, once you're more experienced, you look at the rest of your hand, you get a better grip on the matchup. That might be a keep, right? I'm trying to give sort of general... Um, ideas. For example, against Grixis, that Bone Crusher Giant hand might be a little bit more valuable because there's generally less life gain in the deck. It's like, I don't have Absorb, something like that Blue-White Control can I mean, have. That, that's also another thing. If you see three open mana and you're just like, I need to drain out this one drop, but you already have three creatures on board, don't play your other cards. Do not let them just, because they will counter whatever they see just for that three life to buy them another turn. Yeah, Force them to sweep you. Keep pre keep pressuring them. Keep putting uh, bodies on them. Um, utilize your man lands if you have access to them, and just force them to play their outs. Do not play their outs for them, because the amount of times that I played an aggro deck and have think thought like, oh, if I just keep going a bit wider or whatever, and I just get this, if I get this extra two uh, two power tough or two power creature on board real quick, that's gonna that you know increase my clock by a turn, but then they just counter it, and then I just gave them that turn back. Yeah, there, there's there's myself. one exception to that, and that's again because you say uh, in the question, if I don't have lethal by turn four or five, I never can. That strikes me as they play a sweeper, and I don't come back after the sweeper. Mm -hmm. um, there is one point where I definitely play into sweepers, and that is if I look at the rest of my hand, and it's like if my board gets swept right now. Is the card that I'm keeping in my hand good enough? Like, let's say I'm playing elves, and the only card in my hand is like an elvish warmaster, and I'm like, they're currently on like ten. If they sweep me and I play an elvish warmaster, do I ever win this game? And I'm like, no, probably not. Right? If I eat the sweeper, I lose anyway. So I full on play into the sweeper because if they don't have it, I win the next turn. So then I'm just gonna go all in and just accept that the sweeper is there sometimes. Because what definitely can happen with sweepers is that people spook themselves too much and they hold a card in their hand that's kind of like insignificant 
and you should just be playing more crap on the board. Just there should just be more cardboard there. Yeah. Uh, I think another important one again we just talked about red decks. I think the sweeper, the scenario I was talking about with like playing into a sweeper. I'm thinking more like green decks, white decks. They tend to be in that point. I think the number one thing that causes me to win games against black aggro decks is because they spent the first three turns hand attacking me and not attacking me. Like, mm-hmm. I've played a lot against mono black aggro, uh, like the classic mono black aggro that used to be a thing. And in game one, they go one drop, one drop, one drop, and they crush me. Like, it's not even close. And then we go to game two. And they go like, Thought sees you, Agonizing Remorse you, Go Blank you. And I just make my land drops, and I'm like, I'm still at 20. Right? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care. And because they slow themselves down too much. Hand attack shouldn't be used to just be like a turn one thing, and it's like, oh, let's see what my turn is like. No, you should use it in, like, key moments. And the more you play, the more you're going to recognize those key moments, right? Against blue-white, a good key moment can be um, when they have three lands, because they're going to thought see them now, because if um, if they have a Supreme Verdict, they're casting it next turn. So I'm going to scout. Hey, there's no Verdict there. I can play another creature. Or there is a verdict there. I'm not gonna play a creature, right? You can you yeah. can play around that, and, and that's just this is like a skill you have to develop because it's hard to give it like in blanket statements. But sometimes you go for that thought seize when they have three open mana, and they absorb your thought seize, leaving you with two more mana. That tells me there's probably a verdict in their hand, and they don't want you to know. Yeah, exactly. Right? If they, if they counter the thoughts, either like an, an absorber, like a Dovin's Veto, yeah. they have something they want to hold on to, a farewell, a sweeper, or something Exactly. Like Generally, assuming your opponent is also a, skill, a, a reasonably skilled player, you're going to thought seize, expecting to see a certain card, say Supreme Verdict. If they then counter your hand attack, the card's there. Like, generally. That card you were worried about is currently in your opponent's hand. Uh, I think another scenario that you can use for Thoughtseize is on when your opponent does have the four mana. What if they what if they didn't play the verdict? Well, now you want to scout for Wandering Emperor. So you could play mm-hmm. it on turn four. Like, do I play Emperor? Do I play into that? Um, and if you don't have this information, I think a good example of also a thing you should be doing against uh, control is to just let them have it sometimes like control players always have this cool about them like like oh yeah i've got the cart you're worried about half the time they don't like everybody knows these players that think out loud and i've regularly sat across from players heard them make assumptions and i i, I turn into that monkey meme you know where he like looks over to the side where he first looks at the camera and then he looks away and it's like Oh yeah, that 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 card's totally in my hand, right? <laughs> because they make these wrong assumptions, they spook themselves into it too much. Um, I think a very good example of this is Settle the Wreckage. Settle the Wreckage hardly sees any play. When it does, it's a one-off. Basically, always in game one, I don't respect Settle the Wreckage. Yeah, because the chance that my opponent has it in their deck 
is low, and the chance that they've drawn it is low. So I'm just straight up running into it. And I think that you're playing an aggro deck, you should play it aggressive, not scared. Now, I think there's a lot of nuance to that. Um, I definitely know if you want to play red aggro into control better, watch Sam. And I'm pretty sure if you watch Sam, so go go Island Same, I think is how you spell go it. Go Island Same. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, also, for reference, Supertux is on Mono Red. I'm looking at their post history ah. on the server. Um, so for you, absolutely watch Sam. Um, he is the mono red guy. He's quickly made, well, quickly, I don't know how long he's been playing for, but I know him since playing Pioneer started, basically. Uh, quickly become the mono red guy. And I'm sure that playing mono red, especially because he plays the burn heavy version, he plays the creature heavy version, I'm sure he ex- he he's an expert at playing into control, I'm sure. And even when you, for other people, if you play mono green aggro mono white aggro i'm pretty sure there's still plenty to learn from watching mono red aggro especially the versions without much burn you know the annex amber cleave type of versions like they are they play very similarly to like how a white aggro would play into control also i think he's on oh he's on cavalcade or uh cavalcade then um if you're playing cavalcade red this might sound rude. That's just not a very good aggro deck. And aggro, especially red aggro, is very much about the like small percentages. Um, it is always the the what if, if we're looking at like classic modern burn, like you, the the difference between a great burn player. And a bad burn player is that for the bad burn players, their opponents often win the game on two, on two life. And against the good burn players, that doesn't happen. Because they know how to eke that one or two extra damage out every turn. So I think if you're on Cavalcade, obviously if you really like Cavalcade, I'm never going to tell people to not play the decks that they like to play. Um, But keep in mind, you are somewhat shooting yourself in the foot here by playing that deck where i think you're much better off um playing something like i mean i don't know what ember cleave is now in terms of money is it an expensive card it has rotated out of standard it might get reprinted in the gruel deck even and it might get even cheaper three of them is 20 bucks so yeah so that then i would quickly be looking at so it's that. like it's like 650 right now in Brickleaf. Ah, yeah. so um that that's the main thing i would want to be looking at that and also a very big one and you touched on it brad you you mentioned it manlands especially yeah. the ones from afr those things are Den so fucking good versus den of the bugbear is probably the best manland ever like, I think it's better than Mutavolt, which I would have said before is probably the best manland just because of how cheap it is to activate. But Den is just crazy. I play a control deck and I run Den. Like, it's just, it's so good. Yeah, I mean... 
Yeah, Cavalcade's a, uh, or Cavalcade is, is a tough one just because with that deck, here's, okay, here's another thing. Because I remember this interaction with you actually now. Um, I remember talking to you a little bit briefly about this deck in the Pioneer General on Playaway. Um, I remember telling you that Cavalcade is not always a two drop and you shouldn't always treat it as such. Very good one. Yeah. You don't want to just jam out your like a, a one drop Cavalcade and then go from there. I would honestly just go creature, 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 and then on turn four, maybe like two hasting one drops and then a Cavalcade. Yeah, or like turn three. This... If you go one drop, one drop, yeah, one drop, exactly. and turn three, hasty one drop Cavalcade, something like that. Exactly. Something, something like that, that's going to give you a lot more damage prior to those sweepers that come down. Um, otherwise, you got to look at what other decks are doing that are other aggro decks and see what they can do that are able to be combatant versus, um, you know, control in general and how they can kind of go beyond turn four and five. Because looking at it saying, I can't win by turn four or five, that means I can never win. It's not how you should be looking at your matchups. You want to win turn four, turn five. That is the goal. But you need to be prepared to be able to go beyond that what are ways that you can you know kind of play the longer game like alex said manlands is one of those so investing in more uh, down the bugbears if you're able to um or looking at things out of the board that might be able to be hard to interact with from um from the control perspective like a roiling like, vortex uh, could work roiling vortex or like chandra like three meta chandra not or, um, not dressed to kill Aquatic Flame. Or Exquisite Firecraft is a classic one from Burn. Though that does require yep. Spell Mastery. So that only works if you're in a more Burn-heavy deck. Which is why it doesn't see a lot of play in uh, Pioneer, per se. But that's the type of card you could be looking at. Uh, I do think if you build it really like balls-to-the-wall aggro, you can consider the idea of, like, if I don't win by turn four, I just lose. But there are some things, again, like... It's, it's mainly just... I, I think I'm going to say the praise of this card literally every episode we make for the end of time. Den of the Bugbear. That card doesn't make you stumble basically at all. Yet it is a, a little thing you can do to make sure that you can get that extra punch on turn 4 and 5. That's kind of the annoying part about playing Red in particular in Pioneer. If you want to play it on a budget, you're really going to miss out on, like, eking these, these percentages. And that can be very frustrating when you're playing burn because or playing aggro because your opponents win on, like, one life, two life, and you're like, fuck, if, if only one of these mountains was a, um, a den. A cheap version, though, is ramming up ruins. That's also one you could be running. Ramming up ruins, maybe I'd go against Sunscorch Desert. You could run that as like a cute one-off, but I don't want to run a colorless land generally in these decks. But you can. But I'd be looking at Ramming up ruins, Den of the Bugbear. Um, you can also just have things lying around. Like maybe you can slap like a Mutavolt in here if you just have it lying around. Um, 
Brad, Brad list found right your list, I think, yeah. which was posted in the Discord at one point. Mm -hmm. I, I would I would drop the Castle Embreaths um, because what are they doing against control? Um, on Empty Board, they don't do anything. Um, it, when you're activating them, you would rather just be jamming more creatures to trigger your uh, uh, Cavalcade um, and being more aggressive in that way. I'd rather those be, if you can't afford the dens for a budget concern, I would say Ramana Bruins would be far better in that slot because at the very least, if you get your, if you get the control player down to two life and they sweep you, you have those for the longer game. Yeah. Or like, even if you get them down to five, you get them down to three and then you can play another couple because a lot of your top decks are hasty threats. And I would also make, I would do more hasty threats. Um, I, I would maybe play more fanatical firebrand that'd also be good in your your um your mono green matchup as well instead of these like voldaire and epicures uh um like i i think scorch spitter is fine in the deck uh runway steamkin it gives you like a mana sink but that's probably when you side out versus control to be honest um maybe maybe not it's tough i, I don't i don't play cavalcade enough I, um, to know I the think ins and outs. another point that I see in this deck, I mean, obviously, a lot of the other people listening oh, all, Falcon Wrath. all can I don't like Falcon Wrath see, at all. see the deck, but, um, you know, it's the people who played standard uh, around Guilds of Ravnica, they might know this, like, Chandra Spitfire um, Cavalcade of Calamity deck. I think a thing I notice in this list is that the list isn't very focused. Because I see a lot of one-offs, three-offs, two-offs. I think generally what really defines aggro decks is that they are often really clean. So yeah. aggro decks is the kind of decks where you see lots of four-offs. Now something like Annex, you might want a three-off because it's legendary. But generally, like, I see uh, an example here. I see one Fanatical Firebrand and one Torch Courier. I think what you want to do is when you... And, and one Voldaren Epicure, right? So I'm just taking these three. They're all one-offs. And I'm thinking, if I would be you and playing against these matchups... And this is not even just for control. This is in general. You might generally, like, take out a notepad on your phone or, like a like, a note on your phone... And try and see, like, which ones you were, like, happy to draw. I I've done this, I've talked about this in the past, where I did this when I chose my two mana removal spell of choice, when that choice was hard <laughs> at the start of the format. And I just had a pad, and it literally says, um, I think it had was between Cast Down and Price of Fame. And I said, no, it wasn't Price of Fame, it's the Destroy Target Monocolored Creature. Is that price of Ultimate fame? Price. Ultimate price, yeah, between those two. And I just had a document that says I drew, and I think I was worried about cast down, if that was the right one. I had a document that says, times drawn cast down. Times wish it was ultimate price. Times it didn't matter which one it was. And that mm -hmm. way, I just tracked which one I actually thought was better. Because if I'm seeing one Torch Courier, one Voldarian Epicure, one uh, fanatical firebrand, I feel like that should be a three-off of one of these, for example. And that's a way yeah. in which you want to start like, like making your list cleaner. 
and try and get especially cards that are on the same mana value like if you're trying to make for example the list cleaner by adding a tor brand because you're like there's only two tor brand it's legendary i might be able to run three but you cut a two drop like now you've changed the curve of your deck so then you might end up how you end up with two drop two offs three offs but i would aim to have as many four offs as possible because it makes your deck more consistent because you can more rely on what you're drawing or some of these cards i for example look at chandra's pyreling that's a card that synergizes well with your deck and it's probably a card you want to draw in multiples so those that those cards generally work together well in multiples tin street dodger can be great in multiples because you can maybe you get stuck in like a board state where your opponent is blocking everything and it's like oh but at least these are unblockable and i can start pinging in with those but if you've got one tin street dodger and like a Voldaren epicure then that's not as effective as if you had two tin street dodgers and you could like continuously keep doing this like sneaking through your blockers type of thing yeah and one thing to consider as well because i remember he asked me um let me double check they asked me about um, Pyroling because I I, I I tagged them because they were talking about Cavalcade in the uh, in the channel. I was like, oh, I made an article on that because when I did the Ascendancy article for playing Pioneer, one of the ones was Mardu Ascendancy and it was a Cavalcade deck. It was Mardu Cavalcade. And I was running four of the Pyroling and they asked why not Chandra Spitfire because it's a flyer, it's evasive, and it gets plus three. And I was like, well, it's three mana and um i felt like pyroling was just better two mana gets plus one plus oh but gets double strike and think about it this way if you're playing against control and you play a shauner spitfire on turn three after you've played your like let's say let's say you're curving out like this let's say you're going one drop cavalcade spitfire Unless that one drop is that random uh, Torch one Courier? of Torch Courier, you're not going to be hasting in this uh, this uh, this uh, sp uh, Spitfire to actually do anything on turn three. And then your opponent just, if you're on the draw, your opponent's just like, cool, turn four, sweep you. Yeah, like, but, but even if you go for the Spitfire plan, um, again, this is, your list might have changed. Uh, we found, you know, a list you sent, and I don't know if it's the current list you are running. It was but, the last update of five days ago. But so I what I see, the current list. for example, is two Chandra Spitfire, one Torch Courier. You can build this. I played this deck in Standard with Chandra Spitfire and Torch Courier. But if that's the thing you want to be doing, run four of each. Or at least, like, at least four Torch Courier. You can run fewer Spitfires to keep your um, curve a little bit cleaner. But I see one Chandra Spireling two Chandra Spitfire, both cards you really want to haste, and then I see one Torch Courier. See, and that's and that's what I mean when you could try and look at ways to make this list cleaner. See, like, hey, if there's, like, a one-two synergy I want to be doing in this deck, they actually shouldn't be one-offs and two-offs. Because I do think, if you want to focus this list a little bit more, and I just talked, right, about Epicure, Torch Courier, Firebrand... A Firebrand does value versus the mono green matchup, but I see four Falcon Wrath Perforator, which is, for the people who don't know, a 2-mana two 2-1 two that says a vampire, when it attacks, it deals 1 damage to target defending player. I would just cut all four 
and probably add like three torch courier and a pyreling or something. Mm-hmm. Just again, now the torch courier is a four off. We're working, we're testing if we want to run more copies of pyreling, and now we're going to make that list cleaner. And if this looks good, this looks better. Then we're going to look at the other one. Hey, I'm going to take out a Vildaren Epicure and run another Pyreling. Oh, I notice my curve's a little bit too high. Instead of that Pyreling, I'm going to run an extra Fanatical Firebrand. Again, run extras of cards, just to try and get as close. Especially in the sideboarding, too. What I always loved when Boros Burn was a thing with Luris. That deck, other than obviously the one of Luris, I think the main deck was literally all four-offs. And it was. the sideboard was four off, four off, four off, two off, and Luris. Except for there is always that one random one of either Wayward Beast Guide or whatever, or Guide Beast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So like there was or one cute it was, card, or it was the uh, the legendary one, the two uh, Zergo Bell Striker. Yeah, yeah. Those those were, but generally the deck was basically all four offs. It was so clean, and it's, I love playing that deck. And it's consistency. Hard. Because you want a consistent game plan. And if your game plan is consistent in an aggro deck, you can win a turn earlier. And judging by your question, that turn is probably all you need. So if you get your list down to be cleaner, you get your play down to be a little cleaner, a bit more lining up with some of the things we said, then you can probably squeeze out a higher win percentage uh, in your deck. And you can you can get that like they're actually dead on turn four or five type of thing. Yeah, and let us know how it goes when you get we're able to play with it again and like test with it and like because I I think Cavalcade's a really cool card. I love like this kind of deck. Um, so I'd love to see uh, if you could find out what the best numbers are for uh, combating control. Yeah, because it is a it is a good new player deck because generally this deck is pennies. Mm-hmm. And control is the type of deck that new players. I'm not. I don't know if you're new. I know I haven't seen your name in a mill bag before. Um, but just in order to have a resource for new players, this is generally a very easy deck to hand to someone, which you can play reasonably well. But control is a thing that new players are always like, "How do I beat this?" So having a list that's a little more tuned in order to actually beat control. You say control heavy meta. I'm going to assume that you're local meta. I think people are going to be very thankful if you have a new player-friendly aggro deck that's reasonable against control. You're going to make a lot of friends. All right, Alex. For the last question by Airbreather5000, <laughs> somebody was discussing whether a hot dog is uh, in a bun is considered a sandwich. Well, how about this? Checkmate Atheists. And it is a picture of four hot dogs... On a slice of bread, another slice of bread with that's buttered and has a bunch of shredded cheddar on it. And they're asking, oh, and I, I think, are the hot dogs on top of, what are they on top? Is that mac and cheese underneath the hot dogs? Oh my God, Alex, that's mac and cheese underneath the hot dogs. <laughs> that's phenomenal. Uh, yes, this is a sandwich. It's yeah. literally the definition of a sandwich. It's two slices of bread, shit in the middle, Assuming together. you're going to put these things together. And I will go, I'll take it a step further. I already replied to them in that, by the way. I told them a hot dog in a bun 
is a sandwich the same way that a submarine sandwich is considered a sandwich. I don't know what a submarine sandwich a, is. A sub, like a sub. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where it's like a long loaf of bread that's sliced halfway, opens like a mouth, yeah. shit in the middle, and then close. A hot dog is the exact same thing, except you hold it a different angle. It's the exact same shit. It is a sandwich. Hot dog is a sandwich. Yeah, this this is where the Dutch language doesn't help me in judging these things. Because we generally refer to the bun that it's in. So sandwich isn't as broad of a category. It, it, we don't call a lot of things sandwich. Because, like, um, if I get a sub, that is a little bit more... I guess not exactly. That could be, like... I think we call a lot of things, like, broodje, which is basically just bread. Like, this is bread with thing. It's like, yeah, that's bread. You know, your language if, is so elegant. Yeah, it, absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, you you wonder why, like in, you know, a couple hundred years ago, a lot of the posh people spoke French instead of Dutch. You wonder why, like if you listen to both those languages. <laughs> hey, hey son, like if, would you like some bread? But like, if I get like a baguette, it's just like this is this is a baguette with it. This is a roll. This is a yeah, slice of bread but, yes. with something. This is just yes. But wait, so you refer to like the type of sandwich based on the thing it's in? Yeah, so we don't just use the word sandwich so, very often. So a sandwich with a baguette is just a baguette, and then a sandwich with a roll is just a roll? Basically. That's fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> They're all sandwiches. They're all sandwiches. They're, they're, they're all sandwiches. They're all sandwiches. <laughs> Doesn't fucking matter. I mean, I I guess right. Going by what you you all consider a sandwich, because I know. I mean, I. <laughs> I. Okay, so so we. <laughs> it's I can I can cut it out. It's fine. I can cut it out. So, so, t- so to make this recording extra vague, our uh, silent listener chipped in, which is not part of our recording, saying that what I told about with Dutch is basically the same as what they do in Spanish, and then she popped off on the English language, which you know, that's fine. Don't worry, uh, I'm I, going I to think... insert robotic Spanish noises, and then that's going to be <laughs> the fill I, I think the the thing with sandwich, is that what I know of the story of how the word sandwich came to be, is just someone who was basically playing a game. I've heard it as playing tennis, I've heard it as playing cards, and it was like, I want to be able to keep doing what I'm doing while eating. So how about, instead of just bread with like ham on it, you put another piece of bread on top so i don't get filthy hands well so i can keep I playing thought it was my the cards. earl of sandwich that, that yeah i i i know the story is playing cards that he was that he liked playing cards i wanted to keep eating which you know i can very much oh, relate yeah, he to. was playing cards yeah um but i've also, heard it with side note i've heard if it with you tennis. want a good sandwich if you want a good sandwich you should go to the restaurant named earl of sandwich delicious they have great sandwiches I, I don't know. We've, maybe. we've been sponsored by Magic Spoon this episode. We've been sponsored by Earl of Sandwich. 
We're going to be sponsored by, uh, I don't know, I don't have, I guess, Raid Shadow Legends. At one point, yeah. If you want to eat cereal, eat a sandwich, all while playing Raid Shadow Legends, you should go to the, all the different sponsors in the description <laughs> down below and give us your money. And that's going to do it for us here on the Pioneer Perspective, closing out on sandwiches and fake sponsorships that we haven't earned yet and probably never will because I kind of talked shit about Magic Spoon earlier. And with that, I already got the reminders at the door early in midway through the episode. Reminder again, all that shit, Patreon, in gaming, blah, 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 blah. Follow us on Twitter, Bradsford, Disciple Bullis, and join us next week when we'll finally be back yet again for your listening pleasure. Thank you so much. We love you. You're the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everyone.